All right, why don't you stand with me, turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul writes this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It's common sense, isn't it? If you take a, if you take a handful of wheat and throw it on the ground, you're only going to get a small return on that, right? But if you, if you seed the whole field, you're going to get a whole field of return. That's, those are common sense statements. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless abundantly so that in all things, at all times, listen to this, Having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, and their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed, and you will enlarge and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have provided yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Father, we thank you for your word today. It has the infinite ability to change our lives every time we look at it and we pray it would do that today in ours. Soften our hearts, Lord, and let it change us today. In Christ's name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. Look at your neighbor and ask them, are you a consumer or a producer? You can be seated. Are you a consumer or a producer? Now, that's kind of a trick question. You're probably a little bit of both, right? Probably a little bit of both. You're probably a little bit of a consumer, and hopefully you're a little bit of of a producer. Uh, I have, uh, I was listening to a podcast yesterday uh, in the car, and the guy was saying that uh, upwards of around 85% of churches in America today are either plateaued or declining. And what that tells me is that people are coming in and they're consuming, but then they're not producing anything when they go out, right? Now, if you went to the doctor, and I already know this is a bad illustration because I did it in the first service, but if you go to the doctor and you tell him I'm eating normal and I'm not producing anything, then he's going to say there's something wrong, Right? And you're going to know there's something wrong after a little bit of time. Uh, we are created to produce things. We consume food, and, we produ- and that food produces what? Energy in our bodies. It, it, it's a cycle that we see over and over and over in nature. Uh, there's a consumption, and then there's a production that comes from the consumption. But what bothers me about the church today is that it seems like there could be uh, the large majority 
of churches in America are consuming, but then not producing anything. We've got the thing backwards. There's a, there's a stop up in the flow. And any of you know, if there's a stop in the flow, that means there's something wrong. That, that if you consume, there should be production out of you, uh, according to the amount that you consumed. Amen. Somebody look at your neighbor and says, that's just normal. That's just normal. That's just normal. We were saved to produce. We were saved to produce. Jesus looked at the, at the disciples uh, right before he ascended, and he said, therefore, go and consume at church. No, I didn't say that. You see it up on the screen. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. He says, he says I'm going to give you power. I'm going to be with you always. And because of that, I want you to produce what? Disciples that follow me. Paul later on said, follow me as I follow Christ. Like I'm going to follow him, set the example, and then I'm going to produce people that follow in the same manner. That as Christians, we're called to produce disciples. We're called to make disciples. Now, now my wife and I figured out that we, we, can, we made three disciples. And I thought, man, that's an awesome thing. Like I can just, by default, make disciples. Now, we chose to stop making disciples that way after three, so I had to come up with a new way to do that. But, um, but in reality, my kids are the most important disciples I have, right? That's the most important job I have, is to make disciples out of my kids. They're with me all the time. They're actually with me less now than they've ever been, and they will be with me even less in a few years. That was not joy in my heart. Don't misinterpret that. Um, but... Um, but we have tried to make disciples uh, that follow Christ with our kids. Now, I need to let you know up front that I, I'm wired this way. I'm wired, I, I'm wired to produce. I, I like the idea of making things, of producing things, of taking something that, that, that didn't make sense before and then fashioning it into something that does make sense and is productive and useful and all those things. I just, that's the way my brain works. I'm actually addicted to that process. I'm addicted to dopamine, actually. What happens is, some of you may know this, is that when you fix something, when you create or fix something, your, your body is wired to release a hormone. Uh, one of those hormones is dopamine, and it, and it gives you a little like, oh, Come on, guys, you know what I'm talking about, right? When, when, when the, the sink's leaking. Um, I just did this uh, Friday night. I was mad when I did it, but, but I still got the rush when I finished it. That's the way it usually works with me. Our, our sink faucet had been moving around for, I don't know, a year. And um, <laughs> it hadn't been that long, but it had been long enough to become annoying to my wife. Not necessarily me. But anyway, it needed fixed. So I get, uh, I get all my tools out and I get under the sink and then, and then I realize it turned into something that was bigger than I, what I thought it was going to be and it takes a trip to Lowe's and more tools. And, uh, and so I get back and I get it all fixed. And the remarkable part, remarkable part was when I was done, I still felt like, I am man, hear me roar, I fixed it, Rah, right? Well, what I found out was I became... So addicted to that, like, oh, I can fix it, that I started stealing other people's dopamine. 
So I would fix stuff for other people they didn't even want fixed. Like, or if somebody said, hey, this is, well, I'd just jump in the middle, like, oh, I'll fix it. Watch me, watch me work. And then I get done, like, ah, this is awesome. Now, I need to caution you, especially husbands. We talked about relationships last week. I need to caution you because if your wife comes to you with an issue that's not the faucet, because she wants you to fix the faucet, trust me. If she comes to you with an issue that's not the faucet, uh, don't try to fix it. If she just comes to you and says, man, I had a terrible day at work. I don't know. Everybody hates me. And you start off by saying, you need to go in and slap everybody and get this thing straightened out. She is not going to accept that. You may be trying to fix it, man, but that's not what she wants out. She just wants you to listen, hold her, tell her to be all right, and then keep your mouth shut, right? (laughs) Wow, all the ladies are like, yeah. I can't do that. I'm like, here's three steps on how you make this better, and then I don't think we need to talk about it anymore. (laughs) And then when she comes back again, I'm like, you didn't follow step one. It's this simple. It's logical. Boom, 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 boom. And it would all be better. So I'm wired that way, production-minded. Like, let's make something happen. Let's make make something out of nothing. Let's do it. Um, So so those type of things kind of or just the way my knee-jerk reaction to things. But what, what bothers me a little bit is that the church doesn't seem to be moving in that direction in America. We, we seem to be having a more consumer mindset in, in this area about we're going to just come in, receive what we have, or receive from the Lord, and then we really don't go out and do anything with it. And, and just in case you thought I was going to preach about money this morning, I'm not. So everybody calm down, take your hand off your wallet. Nobody's, that's not what we're doing today. I want to talk about producing thanksgiving because i'm thankful i should be able to produce thankfulness in others amen and so i want to look at what paul is saying here in that respect paul paul says just to give you a little background history the church in jerusalem was suffering big time it's persecution they were they scattered into these small uh little groups james says they were fighting with each other and it was bad it was just a bad scenario and um and, and they needed some help. They needed some financial help. And so in chapter 8, Paul is writing to Corinthians, and he says he tells them about how he went to the Macedonians, and they, they gave even above and beyond. The Macedonian church was also in dire straits, but they gave out of their extreme poverty. They gave according to what they didn't have, and they gave even above that, Paul said. And then he says that 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 the church in Corinth was eager to give even the year before when they found out about all this, they were really eager to give. So what Paul is describing here in this portion of scripture we're reading is that he is, he's sending Titus and some other guys to Corinth to collect an offering that the Corinth Corinth church had promised to give uh, uh, the year before. And so he's just making good on it. He said, listen, you are so excited about this and I just want you to make good on your promise. And then I want to remind you that God loves a cheerful giver and he, and he loves generosity and, and with the measure you sow is the measure you'll reap and he starts using language like that and this farming language and he's saying, he's saying, listen, uh, this is an amazing thing. I just want to make sure that you follow through with it. And he says, he says this, uh, towards the end of that section of scripture. He says, He says that this service that you perform is not only a supplying needs of the Lord's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for for your obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity. And that's what I want to talk about 
for a little bit this morning. Those three things, your, your confession of faith, your obedience, and then out of obedience comes generosity. We were saved to produce. I believe that 100%. James, James talks about how, how some people have a confession of faith, but then that confession of faith doesn't actually produce anything. James says it like this, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? He's saying they, they, they have a confession that, that Christ is the Messiah, that he's Lord, that, that he's their Lord and Savior, but then nothing is produced out of that. There's no works that happen after that. And he says, can such faith save them? He's a big question mark there. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And and if we're the church and we're we're looking at people and we're saying, hey, listen, you know, God will take care of you, a little pat on the back, a little sidearm Christian hug. Everything's going to be fine, man. (laughs) He's on the throne. And then we just walk away. We just, we're, we're sitting there, we're going, well... I mean, he is, he's Lord of Lords in my life. And he'll be the same with you. James says that doesn't help. It's good that you think God, that, that Jesus is Lord. It's good that you think he's the Messiah. But if that doesn't translate into you producing good things out of that, then nobody gets helped. Nobody else is transformed. He's saying, he's saying what good is any of that? Now listen, he goes on, he says, he says, in the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith with deeds. James is saying, let's, let's, let's compare the two. Let, let's compare just your confession with nothing else behind it. And then we'll compare my confession of Christ with that produces good works. We'll compare the two. Who gets more done? Because here's the point he makes. He says, You believe that there is one God. He says, good. Good for you. That's a great step in the right direction. Even the demons believe that. So he's saying this Christian life, when we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, should then turn and produce something that comes out of us. Now, don't get your... Don't get all tied up in a knot here and think, well, he's saying that works, uh, that I'm saved by works. No, 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 no. I didn't say that. I didn't say you're saved by what you do. I said what you do proves that you are saved. Right? That's a drastic, you say, where are you splitting hairs? No, that's a drastically different thing. I'm not saved because I help somebody. I'm, I'm saved, I'm, I help somebody because I'm saved, right? And so what James is saying, if you're confessing that Jesus is Lord, but then that didn't produce anything, I'm wondering about your confession. Because in every circumstance, it produces this if it's real. And so yet we have 85% of churches not making disciples. And I can tell you this, it's not because of the worship style. It's not. It has nothing to do with it. You can ease just, there, there are traditional churches that are growing. There are non-traditional churches that are growing. There are churches on the fringe where I don't even know what they're singing that are growing. But they're concentrated on making disciples. So whatever music they have to sing, whatever style of worship they have to have, that's secondary to the whole thing. They said, listen, we confess Christ is Lord. He called us to go make disciples. We're going to do that whatever it takes. 
Come on, I thought you would be very much happy about that statement. We're called to make disciples. We're called to produce. So what's Paul saying? Paul says, listen, there's a, there's a thing here that I want you to get. He says there's a confession you make. There's an obedience that follows that. And out of that obedience comes generosity. Did you get that? There's a confession. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the Savior of my life. He's the one that redeemed me, pulled me up out of the miry clay, put my feet on the rock to stay. Amen? And he says, out of that confession then should come this obedience that produces generosity. Now watch this. We always produce who we are. Don't we? Don't we? We always produce who we are. Now let me... In the name of Jesus, whatever just happened, I think the wind actually... Suck the door shut. Hallelujah. This is a Pentecostal church, but don't get freaked out. We're not all going to just start jumping around because the door's shut. <laughs> You're like, here comes the chandeliers. I don't know what's next. Um, we got the snakes in the back in a cage. We're not getting them out yet. It takes a lot more than a door slamming to get to that point. Anyway, where were we? So watch this. Watch this. I realized something specific in my son. I don't think my daughters do it, um, but, but it, was, it was like kind of freaky for me the first time I saw it. I have this disorder that like I can look back through those two doors right there. There's a crack of light between them. And while I am preaching, I will walk back and forth and sometimes line the crack up in the door in the sanctuary with the crack in the door to the outside. It's weird. Like I'll just be like, And you think I'm looking at you. And I'm just like, man, those things have to line up. Um, Sometimes I'll close one eye to line things up. Like I'll I'll do this. And so my son, I don't know, 10, 11 years old, we're riding in the truck one day. And and I look over at him and he's got his eyes, one eye closed. Like, look, I go, what are you doing? He's like, nothing. And I'm like, he's doing it. I didn't even teach him how to do that. He just, I'm like, listen, buddy. That's going to look weird, so like your dad does it, but it's going to look weird sometimes. I'm just like, but I realized I was producing who I am. Genes have a habit of doing that, right? And so you're, wondering, you're looking at your kid like, how'd you get that way? It was natural for them, trust me. Just look at yourself. So, so what happened is uh, he, he thinks like me. He, he tears things apart, puts it back to all this stuff. So I reproduced who I was. And in the church, we do the same thing. Greed reproduces greed, right? You can't be greedy and then produce generous kids. You can't be greedy and produce generous disciples. You can't be angry all the time and produce peace. But you can be generous and produce generosity, right? And, and that's something we, we gauge. It, it's neat. Like, our, like in our family, my kids are like a litmus test. <laughs> and I think... Man, God, am I getting this right? And I kind of look at them, and I'm like, are they generous? Are they stingy? Are they mean? Are they, I'm like, I don't, because they're watching me. And so I'm kind of gauging sometimes how it operates. Now we have kids that are overcommitted. And my wife and I look at each other, and we're like, where'd they get that from? I don't understand what happened. Now we're like, hey, they get that from us. And we understand that that's not necessarily a good thing. Better than being an alcoholic, but not a good thing, Right? So we reproduce who we are. 
So it's imperative for the church to be what we want to reproduce. Amen? And so one of the beautiful things about this church, Pastor Don has commented, uh, he's been in ministry a lot longer than me, been around different places. This church is extremely welcoming when people come in, right? There's no dress code here. There's no certain way you have to look. There's no certain way you have to act. You have to laugh when I need you to laugh and clap when I need you to clap, but hopefully that goes without saying. But, but, but we, what happens is we're tr- we want to be welcoming because we want to reproduce what? Welcoming people. We want to be grateful because we want to reproduce gratefulness. We want to be thankful. We want to reproduce thankfulness. Generosity. We want to reproduce, we, we reproduce who we are. And so watch what Paul says here. He says, listen, listen, there'll be great thanks that is given up to God because of this, because he starts to describe this process. He says, out of your confession, he said, you confessed, and then accompanying your confession was obedience, right? Now, let me say this. Confession alone is a good thing, but as James said, it's going to leave us wanting something else, right? Now, let me, let me give you an explanation of the way this happened in my life. Beth and I got married, uh, and uh, I had a friend that I did a lot of stuff with, but he, he lived a life, lifestyle that I didn't approve of, and back then, I was a judgmental, um, idiot Christian. Nobody in here is like that, right? Somebody say Amen. You're like, you're on an island by yourself. So this is the way I treated him. I was very young, 21, 22 years old. And, and, and I would just, man, you got to stop that. God's not pleased with that. And, you know, it was just bad. I admit it, it was bad. So I got the wise idea. Anybody remember the end of time videos that came out? You know, like the rapture happens. And then the, the, the person is standing on the sidewalk interviewing. Where do you think everybody went? I think aliens took them. Um, and then at the end, they're like, oh, it was the rapture. Oh, my. And uh, it, it was just corny. It was on VHS. It was bad quality. And it was corny. And it, but in my mind, I thought that if I told this guy enough that I love Jesus and then showed him this video, that it would, change, it would just drastically change his life. So, uh, so I had set the whole thing up, invited him over to the house, and, um, and I played the video. You know, I'm pretty, like, oh, man, this is going to get it. This part, this part is going to get it. When we were done watching the video, I looked over at him. I was like, so what'd you think, man? He goes, when you die, you just die. That's it. I was like, but the, I sent them 25 bucks and they said I could win my friends of Christ showing the video. I don't understand what happened. The problem was, is that my confession wasn't producing obedience. And can I say this to you? If there's some gimmick, some snake oil salesman is selling out there on Christian TV that if you buy this or that and then show your friends they're automatically going to come to Christ, just turn the TV off. Because the, the thing that will bring your friends to Christ the most is you being obedient to the confession you make to Jesus. So what happened was, I start, God starts talking to me. He said, Chris, you are dumb. And he started saying, listen, he'll never get past the fact that you're being mean to him about his sin and watch a stupid video and then come to me. That's not the way this works. Why don't you ask him to forgive you for the way you've treated him? I'm like, I'm not the one going to hell here, right? I mean, you know the conversations you have with God. Like, what? I didn't do anything. And he's like, you've treated him awful. 
So the next day, I'm, I'm not exaggerating this, the next day, we ha- we were, it was on a Saturday, we were doing some work together, and I said, listen, I need to ask you to forgive me. I've been treating you like dirt. You've been very nice to me. You've been a good friend. And I've been hammering you. Like, it's, it's obvious that, that we think differently about stuff, that, that my, my faith caused me to think differently than, than you do about some things. Uh, but, but I want you to know that I support you and that I'll be your friend regardless of, of that. And I want you to forgive me. And in that sentence, God did more in his life than a thousand rapture videos put together. Because my confession all of a sudden made sense with obedience. Did you hear me? Because listen, church, your confession alone doesn't make sense to a lot of people. Your confession, Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay. So how is that? You're still as stingy as you've ever been. Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay, you still treat me like you used to treat me. I don't get how this has done anything for you. No, but when my confession produces obedience when obedience follows that it changes the whole game and all of a sudden he didn't know how to deal was like oh and i'm telling you there was a transformation and christ was able to walk into his life in a way they had never done before and he's able to experience the grace and mercy of god because i was obedient so i am thankful for your confession But as James says, that confession of faith without obedience following it doesn't really accomplish a whole lot. So church, this is so important. We could put our signs up. We could put our yard signs up saying, I love my church. We could do all those things, professing Christ. But then when they don't see obedience, follow that. It's just like we should have never said it to start with. But there's something There's something powerful that happens when we say Jesus is Lord and because he is Lord, this is how it's going to play out in my life in relationship with you and I'm going to treat you with generosity and grace and mercy and you're not going to, you've never seen anything like this. And when they watch it transform our lives, then the truth starts to hit them. Amen? So watch this. Confession, right? So we have this confession. The confession becomes effective when obedience follows it. Obedience is where thankfulness is produced, Paul says. He says the obedience that accompanied your confession, people are going to be really thankful for that, right? Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession, the gospel of Christ. You said you believe something and then you followed through with it. James said, don't just, don't just say you believe, but let your actions produce something. Let's do this. On a scale of one to 10. So one is confession, 10 is obedience. Like just move the slider where you think you are. Like, oh, I could tell everybody all day long that I love Jesus, but, but then when it comes to obedience, where, where is that? Are you more, are you more on the side of, I just like telling people I love Jesus, but when it comes to obedience, I, I don't know. See, they're not mutually exclusive. You don't do one without the other. Right? So, so if I confess Christ, then I'm going to obey what he calls me to do. If you love me, obey my commandments, right? If you love me, Jesus says, obey my commandments. So watch this. So out of that obedience, 
It will produce thankfulness in people. And then watch this. So I have my confession. I have obedience that follows it. And then out of that obedience, I'm telling you without fail, generosity always follows obedience. I think, why did you cherry pick that one? Couldn't, uh, couldn't something else follow obedience? Yeah, it could, but it's always wrapped up in generosity. And let me, let me explain it like this. One of the things we say here is generosity. Okay, so like 20 of you knew that. So let's all say it together again. Generosity. Generosity. Come on, till, till you sound like you mean it. Generosity. That was a little better. Still, still on the side of the golf clap, but it was a little better. We say generosity rules the day here. Why? Because I believe everything Jesus did was out of heart of generosity to redeem mankind. Why do you say that? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he what? Kept his only begotten son back because he was tired of people just abusing him. No. He said out of his love for us, he expressed that through the immense generosity of giving Christ. And then when Jesus got to earth, Emmanuel, God with us, the generosity of the Father gave the Son to us. And then when Jesus got to earth, he looks at the disciples and he says, look, I know you know how this world system works. I know you know how politics works. That the people climb the ladder and they try to rule over each other and they're just looking for power and, and prestige. I know you know how this works, but not so with you. What was he telling them? Generosity rules the day. He was like, my Father in heaven was as generous as ever anyone has ever been, and now I'm coming to proclaim the same thing to you because he said what? He said, whoever wants to be greatest, you gotta be a servant. Whoever wants to be first, you gotta be a slave, he said. He said, you have to be the one that's willing to give, that's willing to, to lay it all down. You have to be the one who's willing to lay it down for some, somebody else. He's saying, he's saying, listen, when the, f- the confession of faith happens in you, then it's going to produce what? Generosity in your life. Are we talking about finances? Sure. Are we talking about your time? Sure. Are we talking about your heart? Sure. Your emotions? Absolutely. Jesus is saying, listen, you don't withhold anything just like my father. And then Jesus said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to what? Serve and give his life. What? Was he taking his life back? No. He said, the most generous act anybody has ever done, I'm going to lay my life down for you. That's the the story of the gospel is generosity. So by confession of faith, obedience follows that, and then always out of obedience comes generosity. It always happens. You ever hear anybody say, listen, I was obeying the Lord. He told me to be stingy this week. I was obeying him. I was doing exactly what he told me to do, and I put the 20 back in my pocket. I was obeying the Lord when he told me, don't help that guy out that hadn't eaten in a week. I just put my window up when I was coming to the stoplight, put my window up, and I didn't even turn on Christian music because I didn't want him to know I was a Christian. Right? Do you never heard stuff like that? You've always heard what Paul is telling in this story is that my faith in Christ produced obedience and then when that obedience became, became real, it produced generosity to the point where I didn't even think I could do it. But I did. 
And so here we have, here we have this process that Paul's explaining. And he's saying, he's saying, look, your confession, obedience follows that. And then out of obedience, generosity always comes. Now, I want you to look at this. There's two more things I need you to see here. Is that as Christians, we can get, we can get kind of sidetracked on this. We can become consumer, consumeristic very quickly when we have issues, all right? It goes like this, Lord, Lord, if I had a little more, I'd give. If I had a little more time, I'd give you more time. Lord, if I, if I had a little more patience. Lord, if I, had, if I just had a little more. And, and what happens is we have a consumer mentality. Where we're just like, Lord, if you give me, give me. Fix this, fix this. Come into my life and change this. Come into my life and change this. What Paul says is, is if you want a constant supply that you don't have to worry about, now watch this, because everybody wants the constant supply, right? Nobody likes it when your water shuts off right in the middle of the shower. You want a constant supply. So, so if you want a constant supply, watch this. When, when your confession of faith, when obedience follows that, and then generosity comes out of that, he says that you'll produce thanksgiving. All right, are you following me? Because I'm thankful, I'm going to obey because I'm thankful for what Jesus did in my life. I'm going to obey, and that obedience is going, to produce, is going to produce generosity. And when that generosity happens, guess what happens? Other people are now thankful to God. Do you see what just happened there? Paul's saying now all this thankfulness is going up because of your gift. Now watch. He says, as long as you're producing thankful disciples... God will keep pouring into you in an abundance so that you can get all you need and keep producing thankful disciples. Do you see that? He's saying where it breaks down is when you just take it in and nothing comes out, just like when you're in the doctor's office. And the doctor says, nothing's coming out, something's broke. And you say, no, no kidding, I'm the one living this thing. So in the church... When we consume and consume and nothing is produced, then guess what? There becomes less to consume. Did you hear that? And we wonder why we struggle all the time. We wonder why, Lord, I just, I never seem to be able to keep up. I never seem, like, my emotions are, you know, all these things. I never seem to be able to keep up with anything. And it's because all we're doing is intaking and not putting anything out. But, but Paul says to the Corinthians, look, if you will produce thankfulness to God, he will make sure to supply everything you need in what? Abundance. You're like, oh, the abundant life is name it and claim it. That's not what scripture says. It says the abundant life is producing thankfulness to God through other people. Wow, that, well, that's hard work. No kidding, dying on the cross was too. Like, you know, you, like we think this is just an easy breeze down through, down through easy street now. I've confessed Christ is just going to get all better. No, he's saying do the hard work of producing thankfulness to God. And I'll make sure you always have enough to keep doing that. You want to live an abundant life? Start making disciples. He'll always provide. Come on, say amen to that. If you want an abundant life, 
make disciples your priority. If you want abundant life, I believe this, God will invest in what produces. Why would he do otherwise? You don't do that with your 401k, right? Some of you are like, well... No, we invest in things that produce a return. And God does the same thing. And so Paul is laying out the deal here. He's saying, listen, if you will, if you will invest your life in creating thankfulness to God through other people, creating thankful disciples, then he will constantly pour into you. There will be no lack. He said he'll make sure you always have enough to keep doing that. Always have enough to keep doing that. Always have enough to keep doing that. How many people want a place where you always have enough to keep doing that? Come on. Somehow in my life, in one of the worst financial years for my family, I went to Kenya and Honduras. I was talking to a, one guy, a guy one day complaining like crazy. I said, man, I don't know what's happening. You know, everything's it's just terrible. Got in a mess. I'm sucking on my thumb a little bit. And he's just like, and he said, Chris, has God been faithful? And I was like, well, sort of. And I said, you know, I got to take my daughter to, uh, no, not only me, but my daughter went. We both went to Honduras and I'd been to Kenya that earlier that year, and he went, what? I was just like, well, you know, that doesn't count. That's not really what I'm talking about. And he goes, are you kidding me? You flew to Africa, and you're complaining about not having enough? I'm like, if you want to make it look like that, then I guess yes. But what I found out was God would always supply. Come on. God would always supply. He would always supply. He would always supply. And he did. Because my focus was on making thankful disciples. And when I didn't think I could do it, when I didn't think we could do it, when I didn't think there was any way possible, he did it. He did it by providing money. He did it by making plane tickets crash to the bottom. What was bad for the plane industry was good for me. And I looked at it as a sign of God's faithfulness in my life. Let them crash, Lord. Not the planes, the prices. <laughs> but if they crash, the, play, the price will be cheaper. Uh, no, that's not a good joke. Stand with me. Let the band come back up. I want to show you one more thing before we leave. One more thing. Are you good for one more thing? We should probably stop now then. Like three of you. One of the things I love to do is tell people about you guys. I love talking to like other pastors and other people I'm like, man, this church is so generous. I was talking to somebody on the phone just the other day and I said, you know what? In the, like, in the, like there's been years where in the same year we would build a Habitat for Humanity house that would cost $15,000 and then we would right behind that do the backpack giveaway that was over 10000 bucks. like just over. You give to missions and you, and you give and, and Beauty for Ashes. We, we went there one year and, and spent $16,000 remodeling the kitchen. They came back the next year and we gave them $9,500 in an offering. This little church for the, the, was the biggest offering they had ever received. I talked to Mike Zello the other day, and he said, hey, Chris, anytime you want me to come back, collect a $9,500 offering, I'll, I'm, I'm with it. 
I said, well, we'll get you on the list. There's rarely anybody that steps foot in this building to, to proclaim what they're doing for the gospel that you don't give them thousands of dollars. So I talk about that. I said, man, these are some of those generous people. I know they, they're, 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 they're bent on making the gospel go forward. They want to produce things. Watch what Paul says here. Watch this. At the be- we didn't read this at the beginning, but the beginning of chapter 9, he says this. There is no need for me to, to write to you about this service to the Lord's people. For now, I know your eagerness to help. He's saying, I remember when you committed to this last year. I remember your commitment. He says, and I know your eagerness to help. Now watch this. I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians. Paul said, I was taking your eagerness to help out of, out of your confession, the obedience followed, your generosity followed. I, I took that whole thing and I went down to the Macedonians and I said, listen, these people up at Corinth aren't playing around. They're super excited about this. They're going to give beyond what they think they can give. They're going to they're gonna make this happen. And he says, I was bragging about you. And you know what happened? He said, I was boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since you and Achaia were ready to give and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. He's saying, because you did this, I went down to Macedonia and told them about it and it stirred most of them to action. So here's what you do. Now it gets weird if you start bragging about yourself. Don't do that. Don't go to your friends and be like, bro, you should see how much I gave away this year. I fed half of Martinsburg. Don't do that. Don't do that. But here's what you should do. You should say, man, I'm part of a church that never skips an opportunity to bless people. You should say, man, I'm part of a church that never, that we always take advantage we always take advantage of an opportunity to bless someone. Uh, man, I'm part of a church that will go out and, and we'll build a Habitat for Humanity house. We'll remodel, we'll remodel a, uh, a drug addiction house. We'll, 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 we'll go to Honduras and build a, a church in two days. Man, that's what the, when the gospel has, when, when, my, when the confession has obedience and produces generosity, that's what it looks like. And man, I just want to tell you how good it is, how awesome it is. Paul said when he was bragging about that sort of thing, it produced the same thing in other people. Why would we keep our mouth shut as Christians if we're thankful? At this time of year, why would we ever be quiet about it? Why wouldn't we go into every room? You could just skip the politics. It would be a beautiful thing. And you could say, listen, I just want to let you know I'm so excited. Our church just got the kids turn and 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 man, a ton of kids were saved. We had 327 people in the and they'll forget about Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. They'll just forget about it. And Paul said when he bragged about their commitment, it produced the same thing in the Macedonians. You know what I'm hoping? I'm hoping for years and years and years that I can go around this town into Africa, into Central America, wherever I find myself, and I can say, hey, listen, I come from a church where generosity knows no end. I come from a church that they're blessing people left and right. We're so committed to making this gospel go forward, it's scary. We're just, we're just committed to producing good things. I want to encourage other people with that testimony. 
then I believe it'll produce. Amen. I believe it'll produce. I believe it'll produce in your family, in your friends, and in your life. So I'm going to pray for you this morning. Why don't you close your, close your eyes? You can bow your head if you want to. <laughs> Here's what I want to say right up front. Is that there's no part of that that you can skip on. Now, confession by itself may not produce anything, but you can't produce anything without a confession. You can't just skip to the obedience part and be like, well, I'm just going to do what God says. I don't really need him to save me. That's not how this works. It works by committing your life to him, accepting Christ as your savior, letting him transform your life, letting him, letting him redeem you, letting him, letting him forgive you of your sins which he is the only one that can do that. Letting him give you eternal life. And then out of that relationship, the obedience comes and the generosity. But you can't skip over the first part. And I'm, my prayer is this morning that there's some of you in here that, that either need to come back to that step or you need to make that choice for the first time this morning. You need to recognize that God so loved you that he made the most generous statement the world has ever seen by sending Jesus to die for us. And that you can benefit from that this morning. There's a peace of God that passes all understanding that will invade your life today. And you can take advantage of it. So I ask you just to make that decision this morning. Just begin to confess Christ as Lord of your life. Just begin to thank him for what he's done. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and make a determination in your heart today that through his strength that you'll obey him and whatever he asks you to do and you'll live a productive life for the kingdom. But make it start today. Can you do that this morning? Make it start today. Father, we thank you. We thank you for every decision that's been made today to follow you for the first time. Lord, maybe it's somebody recommitting to you, maybe coming back and realizing that they've gone astray. Lord, I pray that that commitment would produce obedience today. I pray that their life would be full of generosity and thanksgiving. Because they're thankful, Lord, I pray that they begin to produce thankful disciples. God, encourage them in their decision this morning. We thank you for it. We'll give you honor for it and praise forever and ever. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. Come on, could you give him honor and glory one more time?